I invite you to please uh, open your Bible to the book of Ruth, chapter 3, which we've been going through this season, and we're going to conclude next week. And if you're wondering, if you haven't been in church for the past few weeks and wondering why would we be looking at a book in the Old Testament uh, at this time leading into Advent, and shouldn't we be looking at the gospel story those of you who are in the know of what we've been covering will see the connection points and hope that you will as well. The book of Ruth tells the story of sacrificial love and devotion of an ancestor of King David and the King of Kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. So Ruth's name is listed in the genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew as one of the great, 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 very many far back generations that led all the way to the coming of Christ the King. Now the book of Ruth is the continuation of the big story of the Bible from from Genesis through the period of Judges, a time that says uh, there was no king. Which one are we doing here? We're going to do this one or this one? Is there any hope for humanity? The answer is yes. We see how God's providentially working out a mission to rescue and restore the world. So the backdrop of the book of Ruth and her story is this period of judges when all hell is breaking loose and we'll see God's rescue mission at work. The book of Ruth asks us to reflect on how God is involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships and decisions of our own lives. So follow along as I read to us uh, Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is widowing barley, Uh, Tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor. And did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, uh, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, 
the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Boaz said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it's true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he will not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then Ruth told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you're taking notes or you kind of want to know where we're going in today's message, there are three main ideas out of chapter 3, where we'll finish the morning. And that is this, that all that is good and worthwhile will come to us if we are patient, pure, and prayerfully committing ourselves to do what is right in the eyes of God. Naomi wants what's best for her daughter-in-law. The story goes that Naomi and her family fled the promised land because there was a famine. They went around the Dead Sea to the land of Moab, modern Jordan. And there her husband died. Her two sons married Moab women, but then they died childless. And now she has nothing to her name. She's lost all rights to the property back home. So she returns with her daughter-in-law Ruth to Bethlehem with nothing to their name. But Ruth is industrious. She's committed to caring for her mother-in-law, so she goes out into the fields to reap a harvest that's set aside for the the most poor people. But that is not enough. Naomi wants what's best for Ruth. And so when we read in chapter 3, shouldn't I seek rest for you, Ruth? That's another way of saying, shouldn't I seek security and safety for you in the form of a husband? You see, marriage was the only means of security and support for a woman on her own in the ancient Near East. It was customary for parents to arrange marriages. So maybe a little bit uh, uh, rare to see a mother-in-law whose uh, daughter-in-law, both widows of a different land, uh, helping to arrange a marriage for her. But nonetheless, Naomi thinks, I need to find this girl a husband. Sinclair uh, Ferguson 
said, maybe Naomi thinks, well, I could take out a personal ad in the Bethlehem Star newspaper, if there was ever such a thing. How would that personal ad read? Single Moabite woman, widowed, childless, migrant day laborer, with mother-in-law, seeks well-to-do Bethlehem businessman with view to marriage. Must lo love mother-in-law. How, how would that go over? Well, what Ruth has going for her is an ex excellent reputation in town. Everyone in town knows how she was so committed to love and care for her mother-in-law to lead her back. But we have to wonder, will that be enough? Is it enough that she's known as a honorable Proverbs 31 kind of woman? Proverbs 31, credible passage about uh, the beautiful, dignified, godly woman. Here's what thir verse 13 of that Proverb 31 says this, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Kind of ironic, don't you think, given the story about some shenanigans going on? At this point in the story, we don't know if her present character will outshine her past, the, the labels put upon her as an outsider, a widow, a laborer, a refugee. The author is vague on this point. So we're, we're left to wonder, is Ruth's present character strong enough for what's to come? And also we're left to worry for Ruth, for her safety in the midst of this very risky plan by Naomi. And doesn't it have some serious innuendo to what her mother-in-law tells her to do? Is Naomi's plan a case of the ends justifying the means? Ruth needs a husband, so let's just get this done? Keep in mind the context. This was a time of great moral decay and great apostasy. People were not following the ways of God. They weren't honoring the Lord their God, and they certainly weren't following Torah, God's law for life. Again, this was a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Is there any relevance to that today? So it raises questions and doubts about these two ladies. It also raises concern for this worthy man, Boaz. He's described as a worthy man, but there's a real sense of uncertainty. What will his intentions be when no one's around to keep him accountable? At the midnight hour, what's going to happen? Well, let's back up just a moment and, and let me share a little insight, a little background to Naomi the matchmaker and, and why she thinks that, that Ruth uh, should go after this man, Boaz, who has some kind of family connection. What's, what's going on here? Well, Naomi reckons that Boaz could satisfy what's known as the Leverett Laws of Marriage. Leverett, if you're taking notes, is spelled L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E. -E. It's from uh, the Latin levir, which means brother-in-law. These were marriage laws mercifully given by God uh, to Moses, to the people uh, recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And here's what it meant. It meant if a family were to fall on hard times, and, and in this case, the male heir were to die so that the property of the belonging to the family had to be mortgaged. And, and if there was no heir to that family, no son in the family line, 
Then there was a way to restore the property and the family name. The law stated that if a husband died childless, his brother, so his his widow's brother-in-law, would then marry her and and father a son for the dead man so that the the, the deceased man's name wouldn't be forgotten and lost in Israel. And there's a little addendum to that. If he refuses, and there could be other male uh, men in, in the line, kinsmen, redeemers, if they refuse, it actually says this in, in Deuteronomy, that she can drag him into court, take a shoe off a sandal, and hit him and spit on him and curse him in front of the judge. So this is pretty serious uh, kind of business. And it was a way of mercifully protecting the family and protecting the dignity of a widow. God loves the widow. This role of of kinsman redeemer could fall to various male relatives in the family line. Naomi knows that Boaz is related to her late husband. And so that's the backstory. Boaz could be the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. Somehow she knows that, and she knows somehow that Boaz will be down there uh, winnowing barley at night at the threshing floor. So I've already tried to explain to you something I completely don't understand, the marriage laws of ancient Israel. How about I try farming? Let's see, what do I know about farming? Not a lot. I'm a city guy. But apparently, this is how it worked. Uh, They would go out at harvest time, and they would bundle it up in the fields, and then they would carry it to the threshing floor. This was an open space of, of, of bedrock or or hard-packed earth. There'd have to be a, a, a good stiff breeze so that uh, it could be tossed in the air with something akin to a pitchfork. And when it was tossed in the air, the, the lighter chaff would be blown away and the, the grain would fall and collect. And then the grain uh, could be uh, gathered together and crushed on that threshing floor with a, uh, a cartwheel, maybe pulled by animals or, or men pushing it and, and grind the, uh, the grain so that the, the husks and the kernels could be separated. Uh, thus ends my agricultural uh, explanation to all of you farm folks. There's plenty of farmland, thankfully, still in our area. So maybe it was a windy night. Maybe the harvest is nearing an end. But whatever it is, no, Naomi says, tonight is the night. Now, I don't know what Naomi knew about harvesting, but I suspect that Naomi knew a lot more than Ruth did about men. Particularly men like Boaz, middle-aged and unmarried. Naomi probably knew that men of his age, most men in general, aren't great at expressing their feelings. Particularly an unmarried man of his age expressing his feelings of love towards the opposite sex. No, He's going to need a little help, Naomi figures. So what does she tell Ruth to do? She says, sweetheart, look your very best. Do your hair. Put on your nicest clothes, such as they are. And then after Boaz has had a big feast, keep an eye on where he uh, lays down to go sleep. Why would that be important? So she doesn't go to the wrong guy, right? That would probably be pretty smart. And if all this doesn't 
already sound a bit strange, she tells her daughter-in-law to uncover her feet and lie down. Some translations could say sit down at his feet and then, quote, he'll know what to do. A risky proposition, yes? It's also a sneaky scheme. Behind Naomi's strategy lies her hasty spiritual uh, impulsiveness. That same impulsiveness that that made her and her husband leave the promised land at at the first sign of, of trouble. And now here she is. She's going to jump ahead with this risky plan to try to play matchmaker. Do you know anyone who believes in God, but if God doesn't do things fast enough, that they sometimes take matters into their own hands? Do you know anyone who ever does that? Shall I just raise my own hand? Let the record show. Don't we all do this sometimes? We come up with a plan. It, it makes sense. It, it's got to be God's will. But we ignore his timing. Or things aren't folding out quickly enough, and so we get frustrated that, that God's not working fast enough. So we're like, well, let me help you, Lord. Does anyone relate to that? This plan is risky And it's sneaky going out in the middle of the night when he's asleep to make this bold request of marriage. How's it going to work out? Well, Ruth agrees to do all that her mother-in-law instructed her to do. She, She gets ready, and it says in the text that she goes down, which would be actually very true. Bethlehem is is high up on a cliff. I was just there this spring, and then down uh, to where the threshing floor would be by the fields. She sees where Boaz is zonked out after a couple of nightcaps. And the text says, verse 7, she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. You remember that cool breeze? Maybe a, a cold breeze this late in the season. So Boaz gets a little chill. He's startled. He rolls over. And notice what happens next. At this point, Ruth is improvising. Naomi didn't tell her to say anything. But Ruth wants to make it clear what her intentions are, that she wants a commitment to marriage, not a single night of passion. Boaz sits up, rubs his eyes. What's going on? Who are you, he says. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, For you are a redeemer. And now Boaz had better sober up and wake up fast. She is requesting that he marry her. You you see, a a proposal was often symbolized by the gesture of of covering someone uh, with a corner of your garment. This is a beautiful symbol that God gave uh, to his people of Israel. It's recorded in Ezekiel chapter 11. This beautiful symbol of the Lord God committing himself to the people as a, a, groom, as a groom commits himself to his bride. And how does Jesus come? And he says the church is what? The church of Jesus Christ is his bride that he will come back for. This is what it says in Ezekiel chapter 16. God's love for Israel and for his church. The Lord God says, I spread the corner of my garment over you and cover you. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord. You became 
mine. This is far beyond what we would think of, of handing a ring to someone, but just imagine the power of that symbolism. And in this context, the woman making the marriage proposal, Boaz is beyond flattered. It says that he's, he's moved by her kindness. This is far before there's passion, there's friendship and, and care and respect. He says that, it says that he's moved by her kindness. Boaz is older, middle-aged. Ruth, perhaps in her 20s. He clearly interprets Ruth's bold actions as a request of marriage at the midnight hour. And he sees her clearly now for the first time. She's not a Moabite, widow, refugee, outsider, someone who needs to go. She's Ruth. Ruth. And she sees Boaz for who he really is. Not just Jewish, wealthy, man of means, but is humble and good and worthy. He tells her he will be her redeemer, but there is another one legally, legally in the eyes of God and before the courts who's closer related. We'll give him the first shot. It's only the right thing to do. But if he's unwilling, he makes a vow before God. I will be your redeemer. I'll be your husband. But Ruth has made up her mind. Now he asks her to stay the night uh, simply to, again, protect her dignity. We don't want the townspeople to find out or, or the other workers that, that are there. They don't need to know what's going on. Uh, and so he says, stay here. Here is the, the first time we see in this time when there is no moral compass, no God-centered conscience, two godly people as an example of sexual purity and as examples of prayers being answered. He's committed to doing what's right, not running ahead of God's timing, especially in this tempting situation. And Ruth is trusting him to honor her. They agree that, that all that's good and worthy comes to those who are patient and pure and prayerfully committed to doing what is right in the eyes of God. And so the next morning before anyone wakes up, before uh, the, the sun has come up, he says, okay, open your shawl. And he fills it with six measures of barley. That's a whole lot. And she throws it over her shoulder and heads on home. And then we have this great scene between Naomi and her daughter-in-law. She knows the answer to the question before she even asks it, seeing her daughter-in-law come in with a look on her face and this giant haul over her shoulder. Remember where we started the story. When Naomi returned to Bethlehem, she said, The Lord has emptied me. I am empty. And her only prayer was that maybe the Lord would bless Ruth. And here now, they are both filled with joy and blessing and material support of this food by their Redeemer. 
And then look at the last verse. I love this. If your Bible's still open, gosh, look at this. Underline it. What Naomi says, she finally gets it. Look at what she says. Wait, daughter. Naomi finally gets God's timetable. Wait till you learn how this matter turns out. For that man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. All that is good and worthwhile in this life, all God has in store for you will come if you are patient, pure in heart, and prayerful. So friends, let's remember to be patient. In this day of instant gratification, it's, it's a good reminder of this timeless lesson about finding lasting happiness and fulfillment as God ordains in God's timetable. The Apostle Paul echoes and supports this, this view of God. He wrote in Romans 2, 6 and 8, God will repay each person according to what they have done. He's quoting from Proverbs 24 and Psalm 62. To those who, pers- who by persistence in doing good seek God's glory, honor, and what is immortal, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and danger. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I wonder if Paul was thinking of the story of Ruth and making that connection. Think of all that you give up when you run ahead of God. In her desire to to meet Ruth's needs uh, and her own, Naomi acted rashly. It's easy to be like her. We're often in a far greater hurry than God is. We need to learn that God is trustworthy. God is infinite in his love. We have every reason to trust and to be patient and to wait upon the Lord. Because, friends, there's never a good reason to run ahead of God. So let's be patient. And second, be pure. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart. For what? They will see God. Especially when it comes to the issue of marriage. It's so timely. Now, Christians are all worked up about marriage being redefined, yet that redefining has gone on for decades. To, to now where cohabitation, living together before you get married, trying it on for a size. Let's see if we can grow into this commitment of marriage. Then we'll get married has just become commonplace. Everyone so up in arms this past summer. But no one has said a thing for so long when so many live together. God has commanded for your good for the good of civilization and for his glory, that we are never to have sexual relations outside of marriage. And I know many of you have. And there is hope and forgiveness. And past is in the past. And your present character is what matters most. Because look at Ruth and Boaz. Ruth and Boaz, in their purity, produce an ancestor of Jesus. 
Their choice that night impacted eternity. And that's as relevant today as it's ever been. So to our young people, those home from college, single adults, both young and old, those among us who've never been married, those of us who are divorced and separated, the Lord would say from his word to me and to us, please wait. Wait till it is made righteous according to the word of God. Even if waiting means never having this kind of relationship in your life, then look to Jesus. He never did. And yet he lived and was the most fully human person who ever walked this earth. The Bible says don't be like the world, but to be like this couple. Called to a higher standard and calling. And for us to see clearly how it is that from cover to cover, God describes God's relationship with his people, the relationship of Christ with the church, the relationship of Yahweh to Israel as a relationship between husband and bride. So be patient, pure, and finally, be prayerful in the midst of your joys and sorrows and hardships and tough decisions. And I know, I look out here, I see friends that are here that have very difficult decisions to make. The Lord's calling you to be prayerful. Boaz prayed in in chapter 2, verse 12, that the Lord repay you, Ruth, for what you've done in in loving your your mother-in-law, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And you know what Ruth is saying to Boaz? You're the answer to your own prayer. Thank you for blessing me in this way. You're the answer to that prayer. We see Ruth praying. We see Naomi praying. So stop scheming or strategizing or second-guessing and spend more time talking to the Lord and listening and waiting on Him. The first words out of Boaz's mouth to Ruth in the midnight hour is a prayer. May you be blessed by the Lord. Patience, purity, and prayer. There's truth in this for those among us in this room uh, who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus. But if you have not come to the feet of your Redeemer, to the Redeemer of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not come to his feet to receive a blessing from him, then friends, you are in much more risk than Ruth. Ruth sought out a Redeemer because her safety and her refuge in this life were at risk. But Friends, your eternal life is at risk unless and until you come to the Redeemer. He paid it all. He paid all the price for all of our sin, past, present, and future. And all he says is to come to me and to believe on me and to trust me. And you can do that this hour. You can put the past behind you and forget about it. Some of us came in this room this morning empty, feeling something missing, that same emptiness that Naomi experienced in Ruth. You can be filled up, filled to a full measure, overflowing with the presence of God in your life. Let's go to him in prayer. 
So Lord, we pray in this hour that we would be people that are waiting upon you, Lord. That we would be pure in heart, and not just in, in, in one matter of, of how we uh, direct our, our passions, but Lord, in, in everything, the way, we, uh, the way we think, the way we act, the way we uh, relate to one another, the things that we do in secret when no one else is around, Lord, in all these ways, we want to be, be pure and, and right before you, Lord, so that we can see you and we can understand more clearly the good plan that you have for our lives and purpose for our lives. Help us, Lord, to be people that don't scheme or strategize, but people who are moved to pray. And dear Lord, we pray for any here that need to know uh, you, Jesus, as their Redeemer. Lord, come and fill them now. Fill them to the fullness of new life. Come, redeeming King, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please remain.